0: This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Wamboy Ippolito loves plants. She has loved them since she was a young girl with strong land and plant-based family history going back generations. As a horticulturalist in the U.S. now based in Staten Island, New York, Wamboy is a highly sought-after designer and lecturer. And among the topics close to her heart is uncovering and revealing the contributions to American horticulture of plant and land care knowledge by groups and cultures long unrecognized, from indigenous peoples on whose land we all make our lives, to people of the African diaspora, to each subsequent wave of immigration from somewhere else to the U.S., Wamboy joins us today to share more of her plant and garden journey and the tender and common ground she finds in what gardens are, which is, as she says, where the magic of being human often happens. Welcome, Womboy.
1: Thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here, Jennifer. I enjoy your podcast. I loved listening to my friend Abra,
0: and here I am. <laughs> And I first met you through Abra, uh, yes, you and did. which has been so fun to follow uh, mm-hmm. along in your story and what you are doing, and the voice and advocacy you represent for horticulture and for culture at this really kind of odd, unsettling but powerfully growing moment in our, yes. our possibility. So
1: an evolutionary moment, uh, that's what I call yeah. it. Yeah. It's an evolutionary moment. Yeah. This
0: is where we make the split. Mm-hmm. And you are a powerful force in seeing that we, we go the right way in this split. I hope yeah. so.
1: <laughs> Thank so you. So <laughs> describe
0: for listeners, what is your personal and professional relationship to plants right now? What, what do you do? right now
1: so right now i am a landscape designer horticulturalist and lecturer so i have my own business i have my clients uh, mostly in new york um manhattan soho tribeca and long island so i do that a lot um that occupies a lot of my time I also lecture at the Brooklyn Botanical Garden. I just taught a class last night actually on success, succession planting. And then I give lectures um, based on the research and uh, work that I do. You know, I mean, I'm sure some people may have heard or seen some of my lectures that are online. And I write. Uh, I also write, um, but most important, I'm a mom of a six-year-old, oh. so that's that's 90% of my day <laughs> and energy, and then the 10% is my husband.
0: <laughs> but- you, as a landscape designer, mm-hmm. you are working mostly with private individuals that you have helped design, and then do you also help care for their gardens? Yes, okay. so...
1: Yes. So, my, my business is a design and install mm-hmm. and maintain. So, I have private clients, you know, like they have penthouses in Manhattan and homes in Long Island. And then I have buildings in Manhattan. So, uh, pretty modern buildings. So, they have modern um, um, gardens, you know, that kind of wrap around the building or, or on three floors. So, and that's the kind of work that I love to do. I love to work with individuals, but I also love to work with corporations that allow me to just use my design skills, you know, unfettered. And, and, and it seems like they end up liking what I do. So I think I'm on the right track. The right track. And do you, uh, what is the name of your company? Well, it's Boshen is my doing business as DBA, but my overall business is Roar Contracting. I am woman, hear me roar. I love
0: it. So you, in these landscape designs, do you have a particular focus at this time in the gardens you work on? Are they edible gardens? Are they ornamental gardens? Are they culturally significant? Are they pleasure gardens like do you have a focus or do you or do they they range from they they range
1: um i don't do vegetable gardening really um i do ornamental i do a lot of pleasure gardens you know where it's about the scent or about color you know where it's something like specific and then i am actually going to be doing a cultural garden here on Staten island with um, one of the oldest African-American settlements, I guess you would call it on Staten Island. Um, it's so funny how that came about because the the person who I connected with is actually a very good friend of ours because his son and our daughter are playmates and we met at, at a swimming club and we just you know started visiting each other. And then he talked to me one day about, and he didn't know that I was a landscape designer. He talked to me about this community garden that's not really a community garden. It's just a piece of ground that they took over from the city. And, you know, and then I said, well, you know, I can help you. I could do this pro bono. We could do great work. So that's, that's uh, an African-American um, neighborhood with a big lot. And we're going to see what we do. So I'm very excited about and that.
0: And that starts this
1: fall? Uh, yes. Actually, I was supposed to have seen it on Sunday, but I wasn't able to. So I'm going to go tomorrow and see ah see and then we'll take it from yeah. there. but i mean i know them i know the community you know we've been to you know parties and i've you know hung out with them we hang out so i know the people
0: before we get further into what you're doing now and your uh roles as lecturer and um and advocate as well as designer Tell us a little bit more about the people and places and plants that grew you into a woman for whom this would be important work and maybe where you were born and raised and who nurtured this love of plants into you. So I'm East
1: African. I say that a lot on my Instagram. Um, I don't, I was born in Kenya, but I consider myself to be East African. My DNA is all over the place in East Africa. And I spent a lot of time as a child in the Rift Valley where my, my family has farms. So, you know, the minute school was closed, the next day my mom would put us on a train and we we, we would go up to the Rift Valley, you know, just spent endless amounts of time with my grandparents who I was very, very close with. And my grandfather passed away, but I'm still very close with my grandma. And at that time, we were just surrounded by meadows and it was just so beautiful. We spent so much time outside. Our lives were outside, literally, you know, we only went inside to like take a bath, eat and go to sleep and get up and run outside. And back then where they lived, they had bought this farm way, way out. There was no electricity. There was, there was really no running water, but they had, you know, like a water tank and, you know, it came through into the house. Um, So, so that was our life, you know, and being around the cows and being around the goats and being around the chickens, you know, and it was so wonderful because I had my great grandmother there as well. She was still alive. Wow. And, and a lot of the land that we have even today in our family comes from her because she bought this land and land is, is, is what we are tied to. You know we are very much people who come out of the ground and work the land, so that's where I got that 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 sense of 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 love for nature and also freedom you know as a child i I always knew that going to the rift valley meant freedom, you know like i I was just free running around with my brothers and sisters and like My brothers and sisters. And one of the happiest, happiest, happiest set of memories that I have, even today, comes from that time, you know, of running around. And now, so we would go there for the school holidays. But, you know, during the rest of the year, we lived in Nairobi and my mother always had a garden. She always had a garden. You know, and my father was a my father was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful plant lover. He loved plants and he he just loved plants. And my mother, you know, after he passed away, I mean, she always had a beautiful garden. Always. My Saturdays were getting in the car and we're going to buy plants, you know, and it was usually just my mom and I. So we would just I mean, we had so many adventures finding plants, you know, (laughs) we would I mean, I remember this one time my mom spotted some papyrus down a riverbank. And she was like, okay, let's, I'm going to park the car and we're going to climb down there <laughs> and we're going to get the papyrus. And then we, when we get down there, there's like two naked men and they're taking a bath in the river. <laughs> but my mom is like so determined to get that papyrus. <laughs> 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 oh, that's I great. Think I, was, I think I was like 10 years old. And she's like, don't look, don't look, just get the papyrus. Just get the papyrus. You know? papyrus. So that was my life.
0: That is wonderful. So you grew up there. Take us the next step. Where where did you go from there as you grew up and decided to make decisions for yourself or were making decisions for yourself? So my mother was a diplomat, so I have a kind
1: of circuitous life, but then... I end up in Washington, DC when I'm 14 years old. Because now, of her work. Because of her work. So she okay. was um a diplomat at the at the embassy in Washington, DC. And so we moved there. I'm 14 at this time. I mean, there's all kinds of other stuff that's happened between that. But 14 is when I come here. And like my first memories of gardens in America, you know, begin to, you know, my first sighting of what I would call American gardens. And it was really interesting because for me it was in an african american neighborhood so i grew up in well in washington dc in um a, an area called shepherd park and shepherd park is a historical um african american and jewish enclave which is pretty much what you would call upper class or upper middle class and the reason that it was that way was because you know way back when jews couldn't buy property in other areas and you know professional african americans couldn't buy property in um other areas, so they were forced to buy um, houses in Shepherd Park, which is a very, very beautiful um, neighborhood. And my, I had a piano teacher who was an African American concert pianist, actually quite famous. Her name was um, Ruth Norman. She's since passed, but I would go um, take classes at Ruth Norman's house, and you know, after my my piano class, you know, she'd give me lemonade, and we'd go sit outside, and. And she would just talk about her plants and you know i mean it was i we didn't i didn't even know that this is what was going on at the time but she would talk about oh you know i had a i had a plum tree and somebody cut it down i don't know who somebody i just woke up one day and my tree was gone you know and this is a hydrangea and this is this and this is that and remember i i'm coming from not knowing what oak trees are or hydrangeas are because wherever i had been before that it was such a different palette, right? Very different plants, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, we had come through Europe and all that, but you know, but I wasn't, you know, registering, you know. So America is when I really began to register what this was, and then that neighborhood, like I said, had all these uh, wonderful African American people who were professionals. I mean, opera singers doctors, lawyers, judges, you know, and they had these beautiful houses and these beautiful gardens, you know. And I remember there was a lady who lived across the street from her in this beautiful Spanish... um, this style uh, um, home. And I remember that it was pink stucco and she had these beautiful roses and she was an elderly, really classy Ameri- uh, African-American lady. And I always wish I had asked her what she had done in her life because she always reminded me of like, like now when I think back, she, she must have been somebody because mm-hmm. she had this beautiful home and she was so elegant and so classy and she would be out there trimming, you know, pruning her roses and, you know, so as I walked home or to Miss Normans, I went past all these beautiful, you know, these rock gardens, um, just incredible. And it was all African-Americans, you know? So so that's where I really began to see beauty. And what was really great is because I came from, from, from you know, an, an African family that was professional and everybody around me was like that in Africa and accomplished moving to America and moving right into that, that neighborhood, which was also Jewish um, because I babysat the Jewish kids next door. Um, You know, it was very normal for me to to know that this is who African-Americans are and this is what they do. You know, it was, it was just normal, you know? So later on when I got into what I call the other America, the outside of that little enclave, you know, that America didn't make sense to me, you know, because I had already come from excellence. So that was a, a, a very important grounding for me. And I always tell this to my friend Abra, that that is the best way that I could possibly have come into
0: America. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Wamboy Ippolito is an East African horticulturalist living and working in Staten Island, New York. A graduate of the New York Botanical Gardens School of Professional Horticulture and an international lecturer will be right back for more of her story. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. It is always a good idea to have a regular checkup on our own mission statements, don't you think? And how our personal mission statement or purpose is then reflected in how we spend our time, our money, our attention, in our relationships, at our work, in our homes, in our gardens. I recently had reason to do a little checkup on my own personal mission statement for Texas gardener, Pam Penick, who kindly asked me to contribute to a project. She essentially asked me, what drives you? And I wanted to share my answer with you because I think it's so pertinent to what I find so expansive about this conversation today with Womboi. I wrote, I'm a firm believer in gardens and gardeners as powerful intersectional agents for positive change in our world. From individual and communal health and well-being to community activism and social justice to environmental repair and healing to cultural inclusion and understanding and compassion. While I have long found as an experienced and lifelong gardener that there is plenty of how-to and good how-to garden information out there, There is less information and engagement around why and more importantly on how to get the why of our gardens to have greater positive impact in our own lives as well as in the larger world. We and the world can fall back into the bad habit of seeing gardening and gardens as kind of sweet, pretty hobbies not necessarily economic, cultural, and environmental change makers and drivers. In every person I interview and every word I write, my North Star is striving to illustrate how powerful every single garden and gardener really can be to the benefit of the people and plants, and places in which they live, and to encourage and empower every gardener, including you listening right now, to embrace and celebrate and set your sights on this power ever more intentionally, every day, every season. So thank you all for listening and making these paradigm-shifting civil gardening conversations part of your life. Thank you for sharing them forward with others, for following along on Instagram and engaging in conversation with me there. Thank you for liking and reviewing the podcast on iTunes or NPR One or Google. Together we grow. Together we really do grow better. We're back now to our conversation with Plantswoman Wamboy Ippolito. Wamboy came to the U.S. at the age of 14 for her diplomat mother's work. As we come back, she is sharing with us her realization over time that there were many often dissonant layers to being black in America.
1: When we moved to America, we moved here as East Africans with a Kenyan identity. I mean, I had a diplomatic passport. You know, I was very Kenyan. You know, I knew that I am a Kenyan here, you know. And and I went through school, you know, knowing that. And when my mother left, I left as well. And I went to to finish out my school in um, Latin America. So when I did come back to the U.S. professionally, I worked in international organizations, so everybody around me was like me. You know they were from someplace else. You know the guy next to me was Colombian, the lady across from me was from Venezuela. The other guy was from France. there was a Japanese in the room, so that was that was that was still not America. You know what I mean? We were all here as consultants, you know we were all doing our thing, but we knew we were from someplace else, and the office ran in a very different way than than any other you know, office I've ever been in, offices that I've ever been in, you know. So the organizations that I worked in were cosmopolitan and international. So then I jump into America Central, you know. like
0: What did you study in Latin America and what, how old were you? How many years later was it that you came back to the United States in this corporate scenario?
1: I actually studied Spanish um, literature and language in South America. And I had studied international development before that. And then I, but after Latin America, I went back to Africa. So I worked then there again, I worked at the embassy of Chile, you know, just basically just a job. You know, I was just, I'm here you know, I, I want to be busy while I figure out what's next. You know what I mean? And then that's when I took that decision to come back to the US and then like came directly into that international scene. Right. And and what were you working at there?
0: Like what was the field of? Oh, work?
1: democracy. So I was a, 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 a um, democracy consultant. So it was a lot of, I mean, I worked for this, uh, the general secretariat at one of, one of these organizations. So it was like, you know, heads of state coming through all the time, you know, from all over the world. So it was just very high level meetings and, you know, you know, oh, so-and-so's around and everybody's scurrying around because so-and-so, you know, is in the room yeah. or, or is here on a conference. Or, so it was that kind of thing. I mean, it was just bureaucratic, but, you know, it was democracy
0: centered. Yeah. So I can see here in this part of the story that you are um, not only in your upbringing and in your mother's work, but in these experiences you're having to this point, you are really laying the foundation for your incredibly um, insightful ability to see uh, multiplicity and uh, polycultural possibility that that you bring out in so much of what we're going to get to I think
1: well thank you for saying that but what what it teaches you when you are around people who are different from you is how similar you are you know because all those people that that I worked with who many of whom are still my very dear friends we all had the same ambitions you know we just wanted to get to a place where we could have a family and take care of our family and work in an unpressured un un you know In in a happy, you know, place where we weren't under pressure or, you know, that we just wanted the same, you know, and I remember, this is so funny, uh, years later, when, when, you know, many of us had gone on to do other things, one of my friends um, calling me from Colombia, because he was having trouble at his job in Colombia. And I said, hey, listen. You know, you just need to do this, 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 and this. And, and, you know, you remember, just do it, you know. So we would always be giving each other advice many years later because we always saw ourselves as friends, you know, as the same, and we all wanted the same thing. So that is that was the best way to really know that I am a – not that I didn't know it before, but, you know, like we're all the same, you know, we're all the same, yeah.
0: Okay, how do you make the transition to determining you want to work with plants as part of your life, womboy?
1: Okay, so here's what happens. You move up the corporate world and then you finally realize that it's really great that you work with these really wonderful people, but this is just red tape bureaucracy, you know. It's just there there really is no vision, you know, in the organizations that that i'm working in other than the next general assembly the next meeting the next you know the next general blah 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 you know but every 5 years you know it's the same thing there's a there's a there's a war here there's hunger there there's famine here and 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 it's just an ongoing process of meetings you know that never come to a solution because there is no vision that everybody is working towards so and then, of course, I got pregnant, I got married and I got pregnant <laughs> and I had my daughter. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, right when she was probably eight, nine months, you know, I knew, OK, I have to go go back to work, you know, and I said to myself, oh, my God, I really don't want to go back to that world. You know, I, I just I can't do it, you know. And we had moved to Staten Island and my husband is from Staten Island. And we live right up the street from um, Snug Harbor Botanical Garden. And we would always take Lucy, you know, we would go walking there. She'd be in her little stroller and we'd go there. And it was just so beautiful. So here I am scheming on how I can get a job at Snug Harbor. And I'm trying to figure out, well, nothing I've ever done in my career, you know, applies to this. But I'm sure I can figure out a way to get a job here just because I want to be here every day, right? I want to just walk down and be here. So, you know, um, I I don't exactly know how it happened. I think I went down for a plant sale and ended up talking to somebody there. And, you know, and then I called up uh, Greg, who's the director of horticulture. And he was like, uh, yeah, well, you know, I need, you know, my guys was, I'll come and volunteer, you know? And so, you know, I started volunteering and, you know, he and I would be talking all the time. We were really great friends. And then he says to me, you know, you know, you're really good at this. You know, he knew my background with plants within my within my family. And he says, you might want to go to school for this. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've been really thinking about it. So he says, well, why don't you apply to, you know, school where I went? And I was like, well, where's that? And he said the New York Botanical um, Garden School of Professional Horticulture. So I researched it. Oh, it's a great, great, you know, program. I apply. Well, first I talked to my husband. Because I was like, now, how do I break it to my husband? <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go make money. I want to spend money and go to school, <laughs> you know? And these people at this school say, I can't work because the workload is crazy. So, you know, so I'm, I'm sweating and I'm, oh God, how am I going to tell him? So, you know, I just come home and I say, hey, you know, I really like what I'm doing and I really want to go to school. And he said, yeah, of course, go, you know? And I mean, I, my husband, God bless him. He is, he is my moral compass and hero. So anyway, I applied to the
0: school, you know, rigorous selection process. I get in and voila. So, so this was sick five years ago. How long is the program and do, and do you focus on anything in particular as you get out or is it a general education all the way through?
1: So the really great thing about the 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 school of professional horticulture is you focus on everything. So you do the outdoor, um, the conservatory, the greenhouse, the actual design, and then of course you have to memorize all these plants and how they work. You you learn about soil, botany. I mean, it's a really intense program. But they have these rotations where you get to work for I can't remember how many weeks it was. A, a long stretch in the conservatory, you know, working on exhibitions, you know. So like you could work on the orchid show, you could work on, you know, the, the whatever annual um, exhibition, you know, from from the ground up, you know. And then you worked in, in in the Native Plant Garden, you know, and you worked in the pond, you know, in the in the in the big, you know, pond that they have there, And then you worked with the tree people and then you worked with the, with the, you know, with the, the HOC guys, you know, the guys who are outside doing and fixing everything, you know. So you, you got to do everything. I think it was two years and two months. And this is like everyday intense, like intensive. Yeah. And then on top of that, you also had a six-month internship. So this was... Where yeah, did you at, do your internship? At Martha Stewart at her home in uh, Bedford in New York.
0: And so what do you come away with? What What do you one boy come away with in terms of what do you learn? What do you know you then want to go forward with?
1: Well, I will say this and I will plug the School of Professional Horticulture. Once you come out of there, I mean, everybody wants you because they know you know. And for me, working at Martha's was just the best thing ever because one, she loves plants. I mean, I think she more than anything, she's a horticulturalist. You know, and she had everything there that I needed. And she was very open and generous with me and included me in so much. And it was just a a, a really great way for me to like really solidify what I already knew. Just remember that it's not like I didn't know plants before. The only thing that I was learning was the Western way, Mm -hmm. because I already had my whole history learning about plants in Africa and in other places. So this was like, okay, this is how they do it here.
0: Now, in the School of Professional Horticulture, did they do uh, work with the students um, and the trainees on actually managing a business, on creating your own business and setting that up? Was that part of it? Because I think that's so important. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes, 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 yes. In fact, I think that was at, at the very, very end. You know, some people already come with that because most of the people who go to the school are already like coming out of a profession. So, yes, you know, they've 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 had businesses, they've had, you know, they the doctors, They you know, opera singers, uh, teachers, you know, photographers. I mean, these are people who... So a lot yeah.
0: of people who are making a career
1: change. It's, it's, it's really about a career change and being serious about
0: your career change. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like I, and yeah. moving towards something that your heart wants exactly. as much as your... yeah Exactly. So you come out of this, I am imagining that all along the way in here your ideas are percolating and advancing and coalescing about the different versions of America Mm -hmm. and the different versions of horticulture Mm -hmm. and some of the myths Mm -hmm. that are perpetuated Mm -hmm. in our world about Mm -hmm. what gardens are or aren't, what Mm -hmm. gardeners are Mm -hmm. or aren't, what Mm -hmm. American horticulture is or isn't. Mm -hmm. That's one of the threads that you bring to my world anyway, that light me up is some of the ways you see these things and then you present them so that other people can see them and say, yeah, I never thought about it like that.
1: Yeah. I always go back to, I'm East African and I live, I come from a place where there's 42 tribes, you know, and you have to figure out how to all live in peace. You know what I mean? And when you go to a place where the people aren't your people, you know, you go with humility and you make friends and you learn about them. So for me, you know, and and remember that we grew up with with the cowboys and Indians narrative, right? Like that's what happens in America, you know, and we're supposed to side with the cowboys against the Indians, but we're the Indians as well in, in you know, in Africa. Well, thank goodness I didn't side with the cowboys. I always sided with the Indians, but because they just seemed, you know, cooler and like more like us, you know. So when I came here, when I come out of this international corporate world where everybody is like me, cause they're from someplace else. When I jump into this American dominant narrative, it just didn't make sense to me, you know, because one, my grounding in America is in Shepherd Park with all these wonderful African-Americans and African-Jewish and, and wonderful Jewish people. So I already know that they're really, really great. And now I'm supposed to believe that that doesn't exist. And what about the Native Americans? Because I'm like, like, where are they? You know, what what's going on? How come I don't see it? I don't see shows about them. I, I hear nothing about them. You know what I'm saying? So it just didn't make, what about, what about the Latin X people, you know, who are clearly doing so much here, you know? So for me, it wasn't so much advocacy or, or being counter, you know, the dominant narrative. It was just that it didn't make sense, you know? And so, and, and I'm one of those people where it has to make sense. If we're going to do something, it has to make sense and it has to be open and it has to be truthful and it, and it's not combative or, or you know, it's it's not a fight. It just has to make sense. So because then we're clear right. about what's what, and then we can and we can get there where yes, there is. You know what I mean? So so that's what it was. And so you know, I started reading. I mean, I always read anyway. You know, and I make friends. You know, I'm always making friends. So then I ask questions, and and then it snowballs from there, right? But it's always been about being clear about what's true, and it's gotta make sense.
0: I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Wamboy Ippolito's plant journey has been forged in some unconventional and yet highly relevant ways, including being a young girl visiting her great-grandmother's farm in the magnificent Rift Valley of East Africa, being a student of languages, cultures, and of democracy. We'll be right back for more with Wamboy. Stay with us. Okay, so thinking out loud this week. Amidst so many larger and colliding urgencies of global, cultural, and environmental transformation with another hard, hard fire, ash, and smoke season here in California, I have found myself turning to the small acts of caring in life, like knitting and baking and reading, and tending for my garden, like collecting seed from the late season basil and cilantro, seeding the next succession of carrots and beets and turnips before this new moon today, cutting back and watering for the short windows of time I could be outside even with a mask in our current levels of smoke. And it occurred to me recently that what I'm actually doing is searching for the comfort and hope of both creativity and the human individual scale. Small embodied actions of care, solace, making, and meaning making in one of my longer stints inside due to the hazardous air quality. And yes, I am acutely aware of the privilege and good fortune of having a small house and garden in which to shelter right now. I recently picked up one of my favorite books of all time, Their Eyes Were Watching God, written by Zora Neale Hurston and originally published in 1937. If you've not read it or not read it recently, Oh, make the time. I wanted to share with you the opening lines of the second chapter. For some reason, this passage, short and simple, really called out to me right now. And given its dark, firm underlining in ink, it must have resonated with a younger me as well. It holds such a mythical tree of life, kind of truth about life and cycles. Quote, Janie saw her life like a great tree in leaf, with the things suffered, the things enjoyed, the things done and undone. Dawn and doom was in the branches, End quote. Dawn and doom, each leaf one bit of the larger story of any experience and any life cycle. Just a few days before the autumnal equinox here in the Northern Hemisphere and the vernal equinox there in the south, it seemed a good perspective grounding for us all, perhaps. Each of our lives is a great tree in leaf, with the things suffered, the things enjoyed, the things done and undone. If you're just joining us, this is Cultivating Place, and today we're hearing the journey story of plantswoman Wamboy Ippolito, garden designer, writer, and lecturer. Wamboy will be speaking on the horticultural legacy of the African diaspora this fall for both the Northwest Horticultural Society in Washington State and for the Ecological Landscape Alliance based in the Northeast. You have these three pillars to your work. I have heard you give presentations for the Garden Conservancy most recently about this idea of restating, re-presenting the narrative of what American agriculture and horticulture actually consists of. And it's almost like deconstructing a a recipe of something, you know, to find all the ingredients that are actually there that add flavor and tone and color and, and the ultimate product of, of a best of a good recipe. You know, I mean, it could be a bad recipe too, as we know, talk to me a little bit about that. So listeners can understand this because it's, uh, the presentation is powerful and I will add a link to it as well.
1: Oh, thank you. You know, the recipe is only bad when you don't give the eggs and the flour the same stature. You know what I mean? And when you give too much, um, you know, you pay too much. um, What is the word? When you give too many accolades to the sugar. You know what I mean? Those eggs, that butter, that sugar, that milk, you know, and that flour, they all mean exactly the same, and they all matter the same way. You take those eggs out, that cake will flop, right? And that's the same thing with America, you know? From every point of entry in America, people brought something with them that made this country what it is, you know? And there would be no country if those people didn't come in here and give what they gave. I mean, I was talking to my husband about this, you know, because I always talk to him about my work, right? Because like I said, he's my big moral compass and he's like, he just constructs that jigsaw puzzle in my head. And I was talking to him about this and, and, and my idea, you know, about, you know, who immigrants were and what they mean to America. And he said, he said, look at New York City. New York City is bagels. And who's bagels? Bagels is American Jews. You know what I mean? The New York Jews, you know, even like, like a, a certain New York sense of humor or wryness, or you know the Seinfeld thing you know what I mean that's that's Jewish America so the same way that American music is 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 black music you know jazz music rock and roll and all that or soul food Amer- you know so much of what is American food especially down in the south so, and, and every one of these, a part of those ingredients that made this cake that people call America, you know what I mean? And it is important to recognize that and to understand that every single one of them is important. And that the foundation of this cake, the real foundation has been wiped off the slate. You, you never hear about Native Americans. You never hear about African Americans. And that's ridiculous to me. Like, again, it has to make sense.
0: And so let's move our analogy over to the garden, and uh, because it's that ecosystem that we want to be healthy, and without recognizing the role, as you say, of all the component parts—the canopy, the midstory, the the annuals, the bulbs, the vines, the grasses, the soil, the mycorrhiza—like you cannot have a good garden without all the component parts. And our what we think of, and, and I think you know, for a long, long time. People have been trying to define what is an American garden? What does this even mean? And I think that in asking the question, they missed a lot of the aspects to the answer that you are helping to bring forward right now. And that is remembering that, one, the foundation of any American horticulture sits on the land and the plants that were here before us and that were those of the indigenous peoples of this land from the get-go. Take the story from from there and and maybe talk about how you started to research this, like your research into the different waves of immigration and what was added to this American garden with each round, I found just really fascinating and fun.
1: On our farm in, in, in in the Rift Valley in East Africa, a lot of the people who worked on that farm weren't even from our community. The farm manager, his name is Mataki, He is Ugandan. He's from Uganda. He's been there from before I was born, you know, and he's still there, you know, and he still manages the farm and his wife was there and she's from there, too. So we had all these people who came from somewhere else, you know, to to make this farm what it is and as productive as it is and as successful as as it is, you know, and. That is who worked the land, you know? So in in a way to to answer your question about what is an American garden, it's the people who work the land. That's what an American garden is. It's the people who work there, you know what I mean? So who who worked the land, you know? Who gave the land or didn't give, who didn't? Because this is unceded ground. You know, let's just be clear. America is unceded ground. You know, whose land was taken from them? who was brought here to work that land to clear that land to build the roads to 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 put the fences up to you know to do all that for this thing that we now call american gardens to exist you know and then who worked in those in those gardens at their inception these italians these greeks who came off boats you know already knowing how to create these beautiful um, um, gardens that they'd been working on in, in 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 Tuscany and, you know, beautiful in Crete and, you know, in all these places. They just came here with the knowledge they already had. So that American garden is the people who work it. So I was interested in finding out who those people were, you know, because I like to learn. And so I was like, you know, and my, my husband's um, grandpa, I mean, he got off the boat, you know, from Sicily. And he just was not interested in being an American. He didn't, he wasn't interested in speaking English, you know, and he was just an Italian guy who just, you know, built houses and then just took over every empty lot in the neighborhood and just planted stuff, you know. I mean, literally, he took over so many empty (laughs) lots, you know. Back then, and he just he had all these gardens and chickens and pigeons and you know and food all over the place on Staten Island, you know. So these are the people who 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 are the American garden, you know. And for me, what was really sad was knowing that all that just disappeared in like two three generations, you know. So you have this monochrome America, but what about all those Hungarians? What about all those Ruthenians? You know, what about all those Kazakhs, you know, who had to take those clothes off, you know, to assimilate, who had to change their names? You know, my mother-in-law, you know, um, Susan Jawiki, that's supposed to be her name, but they get off and some guy, they get off the boat um, in New York and somebody decides that, you know, her grandma's name is not American. So he just changes it to Joe Wise. You know what I mean? you, you yes. know what i mean so all that was was lost yeah. and that is a very sad thing to lose who you yeah. are in order to
0: assimilate into yeah. something
1: you know you know and 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 yeah. what's
0: interesting so. though is that power of those plants that and the plant knowledge that came with all of these people yes because you can change a name and you can you know change a location you can bring seeds from somewhere to somewhere else but it's still the story the narrative is there in those plants and it's just up exactly. to us and you are are do, i mean and i think back to you know my uh interviews with Jamaica Kincaid and her work in my garden book and she really starts to kind of peel this onion right there of You know, the dahlia wasn't always the dahlia. It was this, and it came from here. And this idea of broadening our um, conception and our narrative is just so exciting to me.
1: Yeah, and you know, I had this conversation with Patrick from the Garden Conservancy. Hi, Patrick, if you hear this. (laughs) We We had all these fascinating conversations. So much of what is ornamental here is edible to us, you know, My mother cannot get around the fact that Colocasia is an ornamental (laughs) because that is our food staple. You know what I mean? Like she can't get around that, you know, and if and I think I said somewhere once that if I ever planted Colocasia in my mother's garden as an ornamental and I came back, it would be on the table, you know, so a you know, the cleome that's supposed to be this beautiful ornamental, and it is, that is one of our staples as well, the leaves. They are like the most nutritious leaves in the world. And we eat that all the time, you know what I mean? You know, so all these these, these plants, you know, that, that I would see, you know, working for Martha or other people that I, you know, that I work for, I'd be like, oh my God, you have all this food here and you don't know, you know? Right. And it's great nutritious food. So this goes back to these immigrants, bring stuff here you know like I said in my talk we we, they sneaked stuff in you know they sneaked Mm -hmm. roses in rose cuttings that they they sewed into their clothes or seeds that they put in their pockets you know because one like I said immigrants want to know when they get off the boat that there's going to be food and if there is no food they can grow it also I'm leaving my grandmother behind I will never see her again oh now I want to cry you know I want to cry, but I want to bring a piece of her rose with me.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I can remember yeah. her. Yeah. That's how this stuff got here. Cause our people are in our gardens.
1: Uh-huh. Yes. You know? And so many of those roses end up, you know, as cuttings and you get them now at the big nurseries, but there was a story of a little girl. I'm so sorry. I don't want to cry. Who left, you know, Germany, with a cutting because she knew she wasn't going to see her grandma again.
0: And then that's, that's, that's what touches me. And I think that's what touches everyone who is a gardener. Yes. yes. And, and that is one of the great like common grounds in the heart of the garden is that it is food, but it is family and it is history and it is spirit. And um, yes. you can, you know, you can, a lot can happen to a person or a people, and it is mm-hmm. still there in the plants. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I walk out back in a, you know, strange little suburban garden in California, and I have my mother and my grandmother and my grandfather and – um And there is uh, a lot of connectivity right there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and I don't want to cry again, but I remember like with Greg, who is is my dear, 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 dear friend, um, Greg Lord, the director of horticulture at um, Snug Harbor. I remember way back when, when I was... um, um, volunteering there he had me working in the white garden so that was my garden was the white garden and one time you know I'm just working away in there and he came by and we were chit-chatting and he, and I said oh these are really pretty what are these and he said oh, oh, oh be really careful with those because when my parents passed away and we sold the house I didn't want these to go so I brought them here you know and they were his dad's plants And his dad set him up in horticulture. They would take all these trips. You know, they went to 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 England, you know, to see Sissinghurst, you know, which then gave him this idea of having this white garden and his dad brought some plants and, you know, they were these white, I can't remember what they were. They might've been Hukers, I don't know, but they, it was something, you know, and from that trip to Sissinghurst when he was really young with his dad and then his dad dies and they sell the house and he doesn't want to let go yeah. and now they're going. Those are, those, like, that's what it is. That's what gardening is, you know, all these immigrants who came from Italy and and they had that little olive, you know, c- cutting or, you know, I had these seeds and I and I know that that, that the boss doesn't really care. So I'm just going to put them in here. Right. You know, that's the magic. You know, that's the magic.
0: That is, that is the, um, the persistence and the resilience mm-hmm. of our plant-people relationships. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and may I just say
1: that my mother, the full-on senior diplomat that she was, once took an entire cactus home with her. <laughs> <laughs> I would never tell yes, on her. My mother took an entire cactus that she saw at Home Depot and she had to have it. And I tell you that cactus is in her house so today, great. and this was probably more than twenty <laughs> years ago, so I was with her when she actually bought that cactus, so that's, that's the magic yeah
0: so you know when you think about this time that we're in, both as a plants woman and a mother and a and a teacher to to other people, you know when you think about these really extenuating circumstances of where our climate is and COVID-19 and where our culture is doing this evolutionary shift, much needed. Does that intensify your mission and passion right now? Has it has it shifted it in any way, Womboy? Well, I think I've always been
1: on this journey that is now like I'm beginning to really see the picture now. Is that we all come from nature, you know, and and this nature, she's our mom, everybody, you know, the air you breathe, Jennifer, in in California is, I mean, it's the same air I breathe. And the air didn't choose you and say that you are going to be the one who breathes, you know, breathes in and and one boy is not going to breathe in, you know. And in, in in Chang in Shanghai is not going to breathe in. You know that same air, the air nature gives to us in equal measure. The air, the water, the fire, the earth that we stand on, and that we, you know, my message, if I do have a message, is that you have to go back to nature in the right way, knowing that she is all our mother. We all come out of this planet. This is my home this planet is my home. I, I'm not going anywhere else.
0: And neither are you, Jennifer. This is your home. I was lying um, flat on my back in my tiny little suburban backyard uh, at 1130 p.m. the other night with my 20-year-old mm-hmm. daughter uh-huh. looking for the Perseid meteor showers. And oh, Oh my God, we went out at
1: some crazy I think it was eleven o'clock at night. My husband dragged my daughter and yeah. I out, and we went down the street. And I was like, "God, please, these people think we're all crazy." Walking, <laughs> 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 my daughter had like a long t-shirt on and no shoes, Ugh. and we're down the street looking for this media. Yeah, child. and but and we we uh,
0: saw a whole handful, and I don't. There was something right there about being, you know, lying right on our mother earth and with my daughter Mm -hmm. and you realize Mm -hmm. just how cool this planet is that it holds Mm -hmm. us all up. And it really reminded, and it was just a, it was a very out of body experience to have with my daughter because she got it in that moment. She also was like, we are so little and we are so supported. She's in charge. Yeah. And she's here. She's in charge.
1: And that if, if we if, she, if we got rid of everything, all this furniture yeah. and computers and everything, she would still give us what we need. That's right. To live. You know, she would give us the air we need and the water we need and the, the wood to make the fire we need to stay warm. And she and she's always here so we can put some seed in the ground. You know what I, I mean? do? She will always give us everything we need. Jennifer, why did you make me cry throughout this whole podcast? I didn't because want to Because <laughs> I love a
0: good garden story. Oh, uh, well, thank you. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It's just been um, very meaningful to connect with you today. Thank you so much. Wamboi Ippolito is an East African-born horticulturalist landscape designer and a graduate of the prestigious New York Botanical Gardens School of Professional Horticulture, studying under national and international design masters. Wamboy works with international organizations, museums, botanical gardens, private and public parks to develop horticultural programming and she teaches at the Brooklyn Botanical Garden and Grounds for Sculpture as well as lecturing nationwide. Some of her deepest interests include immigrant gardeners and tropical modern design. Before horticulture, Wamboy was a development and democracy consultant at international government organizations, including the Organization of American States in Washington, D.C. Join us again next week when we head to the Danish island of Uro, where we visit gardener, photographer, and nature-based well-being advocate Camilla Jorvad. She and her family have slowly worked to transform pesticide-exhausted monoculture farmland into chemical-free woodland, wildlife corridors, flower meadows, hedgerows, and wild garden areas where nature thrives. Join us next week. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and listener-supported through cultivatingplace.com. To see images from Wambui's garden, life, and work, as well as links to register for her fall lectures online, make sure to check out the weekly podcast notes at cultivatingplace.com. Wamboi's love of plants and plants people the world over will continue to inspire you there. Our show producer and engineer is Matt Fiddler. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.